She isn't even a real person. She uh, rather is an amalgam of every American mother, every homemaker. And her name is almost universally recognized. And you have to admit, even if she doesn't exist, she makes an awful lot of people happy. Brought a lot of happiness to a lot of families. Her name is Betty Crocker. And her goal was to make your life easier. And this is how it started. With a cake mix. Very simple cake mix. The only problem was nobody bought it. Nobody wanted to buy the Betty Crocker cake mix when it first came out. You know why they didn't want to buy it? It was too easy. The ingredients uh, were already in there, and all you had to do with the original Betty Crocker cake mix, all you had to do was just add water. And every red-blooded American homemaker said, that's not baking. Just add water? That's not baking. I can't serve that to my family. That's how you make paste. I'm not going to do that. And nobody bought the cake mix. So the suits back at the company went back to the drawing board. And they said, how do we convince Jane Q. Public that this cake mix is worth buying, that, that she should buy this for her family and serve this to her family? And so they got to thinking about it and talking about it and hashing it over and, and going over the whole thing. And so the solution was, tell the American housewife to add an egg to it. Add an egg and water and bake it for your family. Now... There already was egg, and the original cake mix had powdered egg already in it. You didn't need to add egg. But by telling them to add an egg, suddenly this became baking. Suddenly this became something wholesome, something that looked like they were actually doing something other than just putting a mix together, and it did the trick, and sales skyrocketed. I think the issue is we don't mind something being easy. We just don't want it to be too easy. Someone offers you something for free. Someone wants to give you something. Your first reaction is, what's the catch? Because we all know there ain't no free lunch, right? They want to sell me something. They want me to buy something. They want to show me something. And what do I have to do? Because there ain't no free lunch. You know, nowhere in history has this been seen better or probably more tragically than in the history of Israel. Israel simply could not accept God's offer of free salvation. And so they added works, and they added laws, and they added regulations, and they added all of these rules and piled them on top of one another, and they, and they, they took all these things and said, you had to keep all of these different laws. They simply couldn't accept God's offer of free salvation. It was, a matter of, well, it was a matter of pride. And because of that, Paul here in the letter to the Romans launches into a discourse that's going to last at least three chapters detailing how Israel has missed the mark and what it's going to take for the grace of God to finally find them. Now, it'd be easy enough for us to come to Romans chapter 9 and simply say, well, I'm not a Jew. So this doesn't apply to me. This isn't my problem. This isn't my chapter. Let's just bypass this one and go on to something more interesting. But the sin that led Israel to reject Jesus at its heart 
was the very same thing that caused American housewives to reject Betty Crocker. It's too easy. I have my pride. I can't serve that to my family. I can't be saved simply by faith and, and God's grace. That's, that's too easy. There has to be something else. I have to do something. I have to be something. God simply cannot save me just as I am. That's too easy. And so, while much of this chapter concerns Israel's history and God's promises and plans, for us and for them, it all comes down to the end as an, and an important truth that we all have to come to, and that is that only Jesus can be our Savior. We're going to be in Romans chapter 9 today. We're going to look at the very end of the chapter. If you're using those Bibles in the pew in front of you, uh, that's uh, page 946, Romans chapter 9. Paul is writing to the believers, to Christians in Rome. And uh, it's a, a group of Jewish believers as well as Gentile believers, people coming together who had never come together to worship before. And they've got all these questions about how they should be worshiping and what they should be doing. And in Romans chapter 9, beginning in verse 30, Paul says, What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is, a righteousness that is by faith? But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. The problem with the Jews was that they did not seek righteousness. They did not seek a right relationship with God based on faith. They didn't trust that God loved them. They didn't trust that God wanted them. And so they set up all of these laws and all of these regulations and all this legalism, we call it today. And they said, unless you do this and this and this, and unless you fulfill all of these things and keep these rules, and the reality is none of us could keep all of those rules. You're just simply not good enough. I am really, really bad at math. I am very bad at math. That's why I married Trish. Trish is really good at math. I am very bad at math. And I thought, you know, when I was in college, Bible college, I didn't even study the book of Numbers. I'm that bad at math. Don't want anything to do with math. So I'm really good with math. And I dread the day when Gracie comes and she's got algebra and stuff. In fact, you know, she's already doing stuff like that. And talk to your mom. She'll help you with that, you know. If it's beyond that hole, if you, you know, Jimmy has two apples and you have one apple, you know, anything beyond that, I'm out. I'm done. But if we had a blackboard up here, we had a chalkboard and we were looking for an equation, what Paul is showing them about Jesus, only Jesus can be our Savior. What Paul is showing them could be expressed very simply as Jesus plus anything else equals no Jesus. You take Jesus and you add anything else that you need for salvation, you lose Jesus. He says in verses 31 and 32, but that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed 
in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. The problem with the Jews was where was their faith? What, what, what was their hope? It was on what they could do for themselves. So what were they looking to as their Savior? Themselves. It was their works. It was the things they could do. It was the laws they could keep. They were trying to save themselves. Now, if that, as if that's not bad enough, they were teaching other people that they needed to do this too. That they needed to keep these laws. And so here you have this church in Rome that's made up of Gentile believers and Jewish believers. And the Jews are all telling the Gentiles, no, no, you've got to keep all these laws. You've got to do all these things if you're going to be saved. And the problem got bad enough that when Paul addresses the issue with the Galatian church, he tells the Galatians, if we or anyone else, even if an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach, that is a gospel of faith, and grace, let him be accursed. There is no other gospel. It's a very subtle sin. It's a very subtle sin. It's, it's surreptitious. That means it, it kind of weasels its way into your life. And I hear it a lot. I hear people say, I'm going to get my life together. I'm going to get my life together, and then I'm going to come to Jesus. I'm going to get everything straightened out, and then I'm going, to, I'm going to become a Christian. But first, I need to quit smoking, I need to quit drinking, I need to quit fooling around, I need to quit cussing, I need to quit cheating. Once I get all those things taken care of, then I'll come to Jesus. Then I'll be good enough that I can come to Jesus. I'll be clean enough. But the problem is you can't. You can't be good enough. You can't be clean enough. And if you could... Where would your hope be? It wouldn't be in Jesus, would it? Your hope would be in yourself, and you wouldn't need Jesus. That is a gospel contrary to this gospel. If you can save yourself by anything else, then you don't need Jesus. If you can be good enough, if you can work hard enough, if you can learn enough, if you can read enough, then you don't need Jesus at all. You don't need the cross. You don't need his resurrection you can take care of it all yourself. But guess what? You can't. I can't save you. You can't save yourselves. Only Jesus can be our Savior. And that's important to know for another reason. Because this passage also reminds us that Jesus cannot be anything else. Jesus cannot be anything less than our Savior. There's a lot of people in our world today who are talking about Jesus. Jesus has become popular again. Jesus is enjoying some good numbers in the polls. You know, he's, he's popular again. Everybody likes Jesus. And you'll see people who have never stepped foot inside a church and probably never will, who will tell you that they're Christians. And they'll tell you that they love Jesus. And they'll tell you that they follow Jesus and they wear crosses and they identify themselves as Christians. A few years ago, it all started up with, remember the bracelets, what would Jesus do? Everybody had a what would Jesus do bracelet, and everybody was asking themselves that question. Well, what would Jesus do about this and about that? And that all kind of caught fire, and suddenly people were interested in Jesus' style. We want to know what Jesus was all about. Today, there are books. You walk into Walmart or you walk into any bookstore, you're going to find 
all of these books. Killing Jesus is a big book right now. There's another book called Jesus the Zealot. That's been very popular this year. Jesus the Zealot is actually written by a Muslim Bible scholar. I don't understand it either, but he's a Muslim Bible scholar. And so your interpretation of Jesus and Jesus the Zealot is very different than what it would be if it was a Christian Bible scholar. Later this year, a movie's coming out called The Son of God, and it's produced by the same people that made that Bible miniseries last year. It looks like it's going to be very good. But the question is, when people are looking to Jesus today, when they talk about Jesus, what kind of Jesus are they talking about? What are they looking to Jesus for? What, how are they seeing him? What are they seeing him as? They're interested in his power. They're interested in miracles. They're interested in his goodness. They're interested in his mercy. They're interested in his grace. They're interested in his love. That forgiveness stuff, that, that'll, that's good stuff. But are they interested in him as Savior? The problem is, people out there in the world, they, they want to hear about Jesus. But they don't want to hear about him being a Savior. They want to hear about Jesus, but they don't want to hear about him as a Savior. And part of the problem is, people in here in the church, we don't talk about Jesus as Savior. Not with those people outside, anyway. We don't want to talk to them about Him being the Savior. And so we tell them other things about Jesus. We tell them, Jesus can be your buddy. You know, everybody needs a friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. Jesus is going to be your buddy. And if you ever need a buddy, if you're ever feeling alone, if you're ever feeling like you've been rejected by everybody else, you know what? Jesus will never reject you. He'll be your buddy. Buddy Christ is going to be right there for you. He's going to be your buddy. He's going to be your friend. Well, I'm not saying that Jesus isn't your friend, but Jesus didn't die to be your buddy. Some people have Jesus as a good luck charm. I was in a real tight spot one time. Man, I, was, I, I almost had it. I, things were looking pretty bad. Then I prayed. Whew, Jesus really came through for me then. <laughs> Thank God I had my little cross in my pocket, you know, and I had my little belief in Jesus because Jesus becomes our, our good luck charm. Boy, what would I do without Jesus? For some people, Jesus becomes their social conscience. The reason we take care of other people is because Jesus tells us to. That's a wonderful thing. The reason we should take care of the earth is because Jesus would tell us to take care of the earth. Those are all wonderful things. Jesus didn't die on a cross to be your buddy. Jesus didn't die on the, on the cross to be a good luck charm, get you out of tight squeezes. Jesus didn't die on the cross just so you'd feel better about the way that you recycle. He died on the cross to save you, to be your Savior. And when we start talking about Him as Savior, that gets to be a problem. Because if He's your Savior, then He's going to expect certain things out of you. And if we had another blackboard, and if I was any good at math, we would have another equation. And the equation would say that if Jesus is less than Savior, then you have no Jesus. But you see, if He is your Savior, if He is your Savior, then He has the right to tell you what you ought to be doing with your life. If He is the guy who saved you, if you owe Him your life, then He has the right to tell you how to live that life. Because He saved you. Because your life belongs to Him. You get that, right? Nod with me or I'll keep talking. Okay. 
but this is who I am. This is, this is my lifestyle choice. This is, this is who I am. I, I have my rights. It's my choice. How dare you tell me what I'm doing is wrong? How dare you say that the things that I'm doing, that they're a sin? This is who I am. How dare he? He dare because he saved you. He dare because you owe him your life. He died for you. That's how dare he. You know, the world's not getting that. And the reason the world is not getting that is because they're not really hearing it from us. They're not hearing that from us. And I wonder if the problem is that we haven't really understood it. According to Paul, the Jews were in danger because they put their trust in what they could do for themselves. The Jews were in danger because they trusted in what they could do. But the Gentiles were in just as much danger because they weren't trusting in who Jesus was. They didn't know what Jesus could do for them. And so Paul concludes this whole chapter and his words, his last words are, whoever believes in Him, Jew or Gentile, whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. Not believing in Him as your buddy. Not believing in Him as your good luck charm. But whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. Can you believe in Jesus? Can you believe in Him to be your Savior? Can you believe in only Him to be your Savior? The promise is, you will never be put to shame. You'll never come up short. You'll never miss out on His promise. When Jesus is your Savior, He's your rock. He's your foundation. You get that, right? When He's your Savior, He's your foundation. Here's the problem. If He can't be your foundation, He will be your stumbling stone. Okay? If He cannot be your foundation, if He cannot be the one that you're going to stand firmly on and stand on Him alone, then He's going to trip you up. Because all those other things that you do, your, your sin, your shame, your failure, your faults, those are all going to get in the way and they are going to lay you out. But when you lay all of those things down at His feet, and when you simply say, God, this is me. This is what I am. Warts and all, this is me. Problems and all, sin and all, this is me. Take me just as I am. Then he becomes your Savior. Then he becomes the one you can stand on, the one that you can trust in, the one who will never let you fall, the one who will never put you to shame. Now, the way I see it, if you're here today and you're not sure about this Jesus thing yet, if you're here today and you're just not really sure about this whole Jesus thing, something's just not quite clicking, something's not right, I mean, you enjoy the songs, and the fellowship is nice, we have good food, the preacher doesn't go on for too long, and he's kind of okay, and the music is beautiful, if all those things are, are, are what you like, but you haven't quite figured this Jesus thing out, that there's a problem there. I think it's one of two things. Either one, you feel like somewhere, somehow, you've disappointed him. Somewhere, somehow, you've disappointed Jesus because of your sin, because of the things you've done, or maybe because of the things that you haven't done right, you've disappointed him. 
or maybe someone else in your life, somebody who you respected, somebody who held a, a place of authority for you, maybe they told you that you disappointed them. And because you respected them and because you respect who Jesus is, you're, you just kind of transfer that. And suddenly, I'm not good enough. I can't be good enough. And you need to understand, you cannot save yourself. You cannot fix yourself. You have to let him be your savior. Or maybe something's not right because, quite honestly, Jesus has disappointed you. Maybe the reality is that Jesus has disappointed you because you believed him to be something that he never promised you he would be. You believed in Jesus to be your buddy. You believed in Jesus to be your good luck charm. You believed, you believed in Jesus to be this holy relic that you could trust in. And Jesus failed you because you believed in him and you believed he would do something for you that he never promised he would do. Jesus didn't die to be your buddy. Jesus didn't die to get you out of speeding tickets. He gave his life to be your savior. He gave his life to save you. You have to let him do that. I can't tell you how many people have told me, I'll come to Jesus. I'll come sooner or later. Just give me time. I'll, I'll come. Just give me a little time. Give me time to work out these problems. Give me time to figure this all out and, and work it all out. I've got to get my marriage straightened out. I've got to get my life straightened out. My kids are driving me nuts. Once I get that all taken care of, then I'll, I'll come to Jesus. Jesus wouldn't want me like this. <laughs> Jesus wouldn't like me like this. You don't know what I've done. I'm some people are just too embarrassed. They think Jesus is going to judge them and they're too embarrassed to come to him because he's, he's holy and they know that they're not. But the reality is Jesus knows you. And he knows what you've done. And he loves you. And he wants you. And you can come to him just as you are. And you can see, when you come to him just as you are, you can see what he can do with that. If you try him, he will prove himself to you every time. If you trust him, he will never let you down. He will never put you to shame. But if you don't, he will trip you up every step. He will get in your way. He will knock you down. You don't want that. If you try him, if you trust him, he is your rock. You can stand firmly on him. And all he asks is that you come as you are. Just come and give yourself to him. If you need to do that today, if you need to trust in him, we want to give you the chance to do that. We would love to pray with you. We'd love to help you with that. We'd love to just simply welcome you and say, you know what, we're a mess too. <laughs> welcome to the club. And he loves us. And when the, time, when the going gets tough, we have something solid that we can stand on. We stand on him. If that's what you need, we invite you to come today. Let's stand together.